Hi, I'm Nayland, and you are listening to the Massacast, a podcast for people 18 years of age and older. Thank you for downloading yet another episode. Um, years ago, Saad uh, volunteered me to one of our neighbors to help with a technical problem, a small technical problem, something that you and I could have easily figured out by Googling it. Um, but this person is not technically savvy. And uh, as a result, whenever this person's having any technical issue, I'm the person who has to come to the rescue. And um, I, tonight I had a brilliant idea. Tech support for the elderly. Right? It's paid through Social Security. Um and basically everyone who gets a phone call it would be because they wouldn't get emails obviously uh, would say oh I know this technology is so confusing and newfangled things let me take care of that for you um, the only problem is it, it would have to be a government program because they're not going to google you right they're not going to find you on the internet because they don't know how to so uh, whoever's the next president that should be the first thing you, you do in office. Getting the social social security tech support. Is, yeah, that's what it is. Um, this episode is uh, with our friend Sinclair. Sinclair's back. Popular guest extraordinaire. It's like a yearly thing and to have Sinclair on the, on the show. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Sinclair's blog, writing, and submissive playground. So here it is. Uh... You shot me an email. You said, hey, how's it going? We haven't talked in a while. Uh, you've got some new stuff to talk about, and I always love talking to you, so it's it's a win-win. Um, for those people who, for some crazy reason, haven't heard your last episodes or aren't familiar with you, how do you describe yourself? Um, I say that I'm primarily a writer, and I uh, make a living through teaching, and uh, mostly I teach at uh, online courses, and I teach at colleges uh, as a guest artist, uh, guest lecturer. So, um, a teacher and a writer, primarily right now. One thing that, uh, and maybe this is just my perception, um, but uh, when you and I first met, we were very much into blogging, New York sex blogging community, um, and that's how I met you. I think I can't remember where we met. We were at some event of some kind. Um, and, uh, that was sort of like, that was your thing. You were a kink sex blogger and, totally. uh, and then it sort of, you know, it's evolved where you're still doing the, the blog thing, but mm -hmm. it's, it's like, you've taken that and you've expanded it dramatically. Uh, can you, you know, explain, you know, how that yeah. happened? And well, it's become my full-time job, and and the blog and the the writing that I publish there is still kind of the heart of all of, all of the things that I do. But um, but uh, for years I was, you know, when I, when you and I met, and when um, I was living in New York, I'm living in California now. Uh, it it was a, really a confessional blog and a, a personal kind of creative nonfiction work where I was just really searching for for what I was. Um, try for the kind of relationship and the kind of power dynamic and kinky sex and gender presentation that I really was seeking to have. And then I was, I was using the blog as a place to kind of process that, um, that, that journey for mm -hmm. myself. And, um, 
even, you know, 10 years ago, it started nine years ago, the blog and, and even five years ago, the way that we were sharing personal information online was pretty different than what we're doing right now in 2015. So I had to really make some adjustments about the level of um, personal stuff that I was willing to talk about. And, um, and so I've, I've moved it around and, and kind of changed how I write and what I do. And, um, as I've recentered the writing in the kind of, it's, it's at the central part of everything that I do. And that's the thing that I love the most. And the thing that I am kind of at the core of me as writer, but, um, but there's so many other pieces that I'm, that I'm working with, like, like teaching and, and trying to make a living being a, being a teaching artist. And so I had to make some decisions about, you know, how, how to put that information out into the world. And a lot of that is through the blog or and I launched a Patreon. So there's a, uh, a way to support the writing and pledge kind of per post. And, um, uh, and so that has really kept the writing going, which is great for a while there. I was like, I think I'm just going to shut this blog down because it's not, it's not worth it anymore, but it, it's still worth it when, especially now that I can get a little bit of, a little bit of cash here and there for it. No, um, when you say you, you kind of decided how you were going to change what information you were going to put out there, yeah. is it because, so you know, when you just were, when all of your, uh, effort, or I should say all of your writing and all of your, or as you say, your public persona, when everything was in just sugar butch, and that means the people who, uh, wanted to read would have to would either have to hear about it from someone or they find it. I mean, they were actively finding it, right? They were actively looking for it. Whereas now right. it's much easier for people to just get anything. And it's not like, you know, it's like, you know, there was a time when I wasn't terribly worried about someone finding the podcast because, well, if they're looking for a kink BDSM podcast, then they're going to find one, you know, but if they're, you know, right. as now, but now they could stumble upon it because they Googled the Pope weirdly or something, you know? <laughs> right. Everything seems so much more interconnected and, uh, it's, it's a lot easier for folks to get information that they, that just will kind of come across their inbox stream, which is different than, going out there seeking it. Is there, a, is there another reason why you decided to decrease the personal stuff you put on there? Or is it just because, you know, you thought, you know, eventually got to a TMI situation or, or what was it for you? Yeah, it was a little bit TMI, but it was also about, um, going through a really rough time where I, I was, um, going through a severe process of grief right after my dad died in 2012 and my relationship started falling apart and, um, and I just couldn't write about it. I couldn't write about how hard it was. And it was really a challenge to, to express what I was going through. So I was writing privately a lot and, you know, writing letters to friends and writing in my journal, but I wasn't publishing very much online. And, um, and when I did, it was really hard to, you know, go to a college gig or go to a present, a reading, a, you know, erotica reading or something and have somebody go, oh, hey, by the way, sorry about your dad. You know, mm -hmm. and it, was, it would like completely catch me off guard and I just would just feel like the wind was knocked out of me. So I was so not ready to like, you know, I had to like kind of gear up with all this public armor to go out in the world anyway because I was having such a rough time. But, and, and I know people meant well, you know, I took it, I, I wasn't. I'm not mad at them. I just was so triggered by, by it sometimes that I um, started really being a lot more private about what I was going through. Uh, and, and that has benefits and, and detriments too. You know, even still when I share really personal things, it gets a lot more of a response and 
uh, a lot more conversation. I think it feels more real to people. You know, it feels more like I'm, I'm their friend just telling them what's up in my life, which is always kind of a nicer feeling when you read stuff online than if someone is like, I'm the expert and I'm telling you what to do, you know, right. it's, it's really different. Um, well, it's so also I, I sort like, of a one way street, right? I, I mean, you're giving all this information. So people know a lot about you, but you don't know. A lot of it. So it's a, it's really, it's a lopsided relationship, I guess you could say. Totally. Well, and I, um, I, I put some things in place to try to mitigate that, that to like make it a little bit more two way. Like for example, I have these password protected posts on the blog that I would write. And if you gave me your email address and signed up for the newsletter, then I would give you the password and you could go and, um, and write and read the personal, personal stuff that I was writing. Right. Um, and so I, one of my policies was that I wouldn't publish anonymous comments. So if you were going to read these really personal things, you had to stand behind what you said, you know, you had to be a person and, and stand behind that comment and like, if I wanted to write you back and say, hey, that was a shitty thing to say, then you had to give me somewhere to write. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and, and that, but that doesn't always work. You know, that's not very easy to enforce. And, uh, but now I'm, I'm doing it through the Patreon blog that I launched. You know, the, um, the Patreon system has been amazing for so many artists and media makers. And um, it's really been able to support my writing in a way that I've never had before. So the folks who have pledged any amount of money over there, they get access to my kind of journal entries. And that's kind of where I'm putting the, the work that I used to write and make public on Sugarbridge that people you know, talk, talk about really liking still. And I still get emails like, I wish you were writing like you used to, you know? And I, I mean, I kind of wish I was writing like I used to also, but, um, the, the, the internet has changed. It's not a place where you can write, where I feel like I can write like that as easily without consequence. Also, at least for me, I find that, um, I had a lot less to do when I was when I was writing more, when I was, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, I should say my, my, and also my entire focus was on one thing. And mm. so that was easy to write about because, you know, because of that, and also the other thing is too, I'm in a relationship now and yeah. there's stuff that I just don't want to talk about either because it's just too personal or because whatever, you know? Um, and yeah. also there, there are weirdos out there. There are people out there who will, you know, they'll read the blog and then they'll Google sod and then they'll come back and they'll send me, you know, just weird, the, name the weird email and I'll get it. You know, oh, you're so lucky if you'd if you want another male sl slave next to you, just let me. I'm like, no, no just, you know, th this happens all the time. You're just weird. But um, yeah, so so yeah, th it brings out the worst in people in so many ways and the best in people, I think, the Internet. And, yeah, it, sure. you know, it's amazing what kind of vulnerable, fascinating inner world stuff that people reveal, um, in various places online. And I, I love seeing into someone's inner world. That is such a fetish of mine, <laughs> you know? So, um, so I love the ways that people do that, but then it also means that people can just go, oh, this is stupid and just type, this is stupid and enter and, you know, post right, right away or, you know, things way meaner than that. <laughs> but something that they, they, they wouldn't say to your face. You know, or yeah. unless they're a total asshole, but for some reason, no. because there is, they know they can just close the browser and never look again, that there's this, you know, there's no consequence and there's no social awkward, you know? Well, I mean, I, 
Uh, the, the thing you said also about having more time is, is so true. I mean, I had a full-time desk job when I started writing and I would go to work and write at, at work and I was funded in a way that, you know, was fantastic. But um, now I am not. Now I have a full-time freelance career that I, needs full-time work. So it's a lot harder to, to have the space to sit and think and write um, in the way that those things need. And like you, I was searching, you know, I was really trying to find a relationship and my own self, uh, orientation and kink and values in a way that, that I feel a lot more secure in now. So I'm less using the writing as a way to discover that. Well, it's just, it's come a long way. It's changed a lot in nine years. I mean, the Massey has has changed too, you know, it's definitely a different place. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, it's, uh, I think it's just – it's a combination of evolution and also there's there's something about – I don't know what it is because almost all of my friends who I was – you know, I had a, a lot of friends that I – that we would go to a kink event every weekend or sometimes mm. twice a week, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'll talk to them now and they're like, they never go to any events. They just never – I mean, they, maybe you go to like a big event once or twice a year or something like that. But they just they just don't go – to events anymore, I think it's it's a combination of maybe burnout, maybe a little mm. bit. I mean, if you go to a, a kink event every, you know, two two or three times a week, every week for a couple of years, eventually you're, you know, you're, it's the same thing every time, right? Um, right. And uh, and also, I know I have a lot of friends who that once they get into a relationship, it's it's. Uh, uh, I know that's certainly with with us, where it's like, well, you know what? There's a, we just we'd be much rather just be kinky at home because there's stuff we can do here. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it'd be different if we were exhibitionists or something, you know? Right. Um, that's true. But, yeah, um, but my bed is pretty great. Like I would rather fuck in my own bed than fuck most other places. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, and we, yeah, my partner and I, my boy, we're, we're kind of homebodies. We like our house. We like our dog. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we stay at home a lot and do that kind of stuff. So let me know if we talk about some of the things you've been doing in the past year or two. So you've been writing these, uh, you call them novellas? Yes. They're short short fiction, um, not as long as a novel, but, you know, between like 50 and 100 pages. And um, they they started on my blog on sugarbridge.net, but after – after there were four or five stories in a in a little series of the same characters, and I'd compile them into an ebook and put it out in the, as an ebook. So I decided I would do six months of this, uh, where each month for six months there was a different couple, a different set of characters, and they would go through some conflicts or some courtship or kinky sex or revealing things about themselves or whatever they were doing, and then um, kind of have a little mini story arc. So it was like a little mini series on the blog. And, uh, so I did six different ones and there's three of them complete as novellas and you can read all of them on sugarbridge.net, but the three of the novellas are done. Um, they are right now they are, uh, boys will be boys, which is a butch, butch erotica story. There's a, um, a uh, story of Asher and Jesse, which is called the Dyke and Sight Class, which is book, Butch Famerotica. <laughs> and then um, the third one, I'm going to forget these titles. The Sweet one, and Rough. Oh, Sweet and Rough is a different one. Yeah. That's a, that's a full-length short story collection. Okay. Um, but the third one is um, uh, Begging for More. 
and it is um, not quite out yet, but it's almost almost done. And it's a femdom erotica, the femme dominant and a trans male submissive. So when you're writing this, are you are you just writing? Okay, this is what turns me on, or do you every are you are you conscious that oh you know what people are really into X Y and Z? I'm not really into you know, boots or whatever, but I guarantee you someone's going to be really into me writing about the boots. So I'm going to write about the boots. How do you, how do you decide, you know, what, 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 what to throw out there for, for, for the people that might, may not be your thing or is all of this your thing? Uh, broadly it, it is all my thing. I think, but I think what's more important is that it's the characters thing. So I really try to get, yeah, you know, it's really fun to kind of do a fiction character study in this way. I hadn't done that since, I don't know, college, maybe I've been writing so many personal, not creative nonfiction essays about my own life. And through this kind of Sinclair persona that, um, that I hadn't really done these kind of character studies for a long time. And that was really fun. So, so I mean, most of the content in those novellas is not, I would, I would say not super kinky. Like it's not, um, really edgy fetishes. There, um, there's some kind of mainstreamy fetishes like boot worship and piss play. Um, so you'd say piss play is mainstreamy? Well, it's pretty, I would find it pretty normal. A fetish. Well, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Piss I play. Agree. I'm not I'm saying not, it's, I'm not saying to it, but. Right, no, I'm not saying it's weird. I'm just, I was just saying is that when you were saying, when you were saying, you were kind of downplaying the level of kink, and I was thinking, oh, maybe some light spanking, or you know, and, and, and right. you're right. I'm kind of a pervert. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> my like that, what I think is the center of normal. That fetishes. wasn't a judgment thing on my part. I was just, I imagined. No, <laughs> no but I think you're right, and I think. I think that was is a really common one. If we're, if we're starting to look at kind of the more more edgy fetishes, I think I I pulled the common ones as much as I could. Right. Partly because I want them to be accessible to people. I want you know I want people to be able to go, ooh, that's something I want to do or have thought about or know a little bit about. And it's even more fun to me if they're like, oh, I'm so not into that. But then I read this thing and now it's really sexy. You know, that's really fun. It's so, really weird how that works. There are. Uh... There's a lot. I don't even know what you'd call it. There, there, there is a word. There's got to be a, a, a name for something. It's maybe a German word. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Where, uh, in when you're doing the act, it's not super hot, or it's not you know, or or whatever. You're doing it, and, and then when you but when you think back on it, it's really really fond. You know, it's a really fond thing that you you know you you, you like thinking about it, but maybe at the time it was a little rough, right, or something. I don't know what that is, but that's that's interesting, and it's it's interesting what you know, kind of how the endorphins and the and the intimacy can kick in after the fact or during the scene to change our perceptions of the scene. You know, like beforehand, you can feel like oh, this is going to be hard and painful and weird and scary and, you know, whatever. But then once you kind of do it, you're like, oh, you kind of remember right. the value that it has. So when you're writing, what do you do? I didn't mean to get off the writing subject there, but the um, when you're writing, do you think of like uh, scenes first or do you kind of just put yourself in the position of the characters and just see how it naturally plays out? What's your process for that? For this fiction, uh, it was, you know, these novellas, it was a little 
a little different than maybe what I usually do writing nonfiction stuff and, and creative essays where I'm recount, you know, I have a kind of thesis that I want to support and trying to, um, get a point across that kind of thing. Right. Um, so this fiction was really character driven and I would, I would do these little studies and, um, of who these people were and then figure out how they would come together and inter interlock and, um, and uh, and kind of stick them in situations and see what they did. So sometimes I had a, a pretty strong arc from beginning to end of the whole four or five stories trying to be like, okay, I know what's going to happen. They're going to meet this way. They're going to have this kind of courtship. And then actually they're going to break up in the last story. Or, you know, actually they're going to move in and get married in the last story. Or, um, or maybe they're going to get married in the first story. And then it's going to be like what it's like to go to a kink party when you only go once a year and mm. <laughs> you're trying to kind of get your boner back after a while <laughs> or something. You know, it was, it, I tried to put them in various situations and not just have it be like first date excitement or first time you're having sex. Cause you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, most of the time, the first time I have sex with somebody, it's not the best time. Like I can't go super deep with kinky things and I don't, I want to. I want the middle times of having sex where right, right. I, I know all about their fetishes and I know what kind of buttons to push and I know what kind of dirty talk they like and you know we can go a lot harder and deeper and play more when I when we have that kind of experience. So I wanted to show some of that too, and not just have the the early you know boy meets girl or girl meets girl or boy meets butch or whatever. Uh, that's interesting. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen. I think almost every time I've ever read any sort of kink erotica, it's almost always been that first either mm -hmm. either they're anonymous, right? <laughs> Which is the, right. before even a date. It's like they're uh, so it's either super mysterious and early at that, or or maybe you're right. Maybe it's like the second or third date or something like that. Right. Uh, that's incredibly unique. I mean, I, I, maybe maybe you've read more of this stuff along those lines, but um, or maybe it's like a maybe if the if it's a if they're the story takes place in the you know after when for the couple who's been together for many years, then the thing is they have a new person like a third come in or something you know right There's or they always do this something. new thing that they've never done before so right. it becomes that way to do exciting things and um, yeah I think that's really common especially for kind of all of the erotica anthologies and you know like if you're picking up best lesbian erotica or best sex writing best sex writing isn't fiction but best um, you know best women's erotica kind of those anthologies of lots of different short stories there. Um, they're really, it's really common to have first time lovers together for yeah. sure. And I think, I think that um, the first time of it carries a lot of excitement and weight for the reader and for the writer. So it's a, it's a good way to premise your story. It's a good setup to have because you're automatically like, <gasps> that person caught my eye. Oh, it's so sexy. Am I going <laughs> to, you know, are we going to, are they going to get together? I mean, if you're reading an anthology, erotic anthology, probably they will. But, but that's a really, but, that's a really brave thing to do. Cause you could have easily, you know, gone with what everyone else does. Um, but showing this perspective is really, I mean, that's, that's really great. And, and uh, I'm trying to keep it interesting for myself too. You know, I've been writing erotica for more than 10 years and, I've written a lot of first dates, and so I'm like, well, what else can I do? <laughs> can right, right. I, what, what's it like to have long-term lovers? There, I mean, some of the erotica stories that really stand out for me in anthologies are are exactly that. You know, like they're um, rough, hateful breakup sex or something, yeah, or yeah. 
you know, there, there are unique uh, relationships that aren't the way that you would usually kind of see a, a, a usual erotica story. Um, and, and, you know, like people like Rachel Kramer Bustle who have written and edited a ton of erotica uh, often have really good, interesting takes on things that aren't those wrote first time. Right. Cause she's seen them all, right? She's, she's totally she's, right. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? I mean, she has maybe a hundred anthologies. How many pieces of erotica much do you have read over the years? It's oh. not a, it's More than thing. I could ever, ever read. I think there's got to be like seven of her, and they're all using, <laughs> you know, because there's kind no like way. Shakespeare, we're going to discover it. <laughs> yeah. Or the Dread Private Roberts or something like that. It's like. <laughs> um, yeah. So you will uh, get a kick out of that. One thing you always do, too, you, you, I mean, you get asked to speak a lot of colleges and, and do workshops and um the past couple of years have been a huge change for the queer community, the trans community, at least. There's two with 50 shades. Yeah. There's a yeah, lot of stuff. Sure. Here. I mean, have you noticed, um, any change? Like when you, when you go and do a workshop or something like that, are the crowds bigger? I get, or, or what's the, has the mm-hmm. attitudes changed at all when you're, when you walk in and start talking to people, are people a little more, you know, I imagine if you you stood up a couple of years ago, I could be wrong, and you said, you know, you you said some some vocabulary that may be a little more inside. I imagine a lot of people would have questions, and or and it sounds to me like I, I hear more and more people who are not directly in the scene or in in the sex positive community seem to be a little bit more well versed. Yeah, I think that's true. I do think that's true. I th- I think it's really variable. Like sometimes. The college students who bring me are incredibly knowledgeable about sex and kink and gender, and and sometimes they're they have questions like, "What does topping mean? You know, what is? How do you do? What do you, why why are you saying the word switch? Like, what does that mean? You know?" And right. I think, um, I th- I think there's always people in the room who do know what those things mean, but uh, uh, but that one of the things that I really always try to do with those presentations is make it really easy to ask. For definitions and, mm-hmm. and clarifications, and to not shame anybody for not knowing, you know, I think the, um, I think it's, I think it's so important for us to have open places to ask and, and figure that out. Uh, has it changed? I don't know. It's so variable, you know. So I and I do kink conferences and I do community center kind of events and um, and then college campuses and sometimes those they're really uh, conservative. And so, you know, I did a sex toy talk at the Harvard campus once and gotten so much trouble on the Harvard blog that like the newspaper website that was like, you know, people were writing in about how this is where your tax dollars are going. And wait, what could you have possibly done? <laughs> I was teaching them about sex <laughs> <laughs> and sex toys. Like I had, I had all these toys and, and people like there was so much hate mail about that um, for me. I mean, this was a couple of years ago now, but uh, so much stuff about, you know, people saying this is your, this lesbian is going to teach your kids how to be gay. And, you know, it was homophobic and sex negative and just, it was all over. At Harvard. At Harvard. I thought yeah. they were like supposed to be the most educated. Well, I think they're very, very smart, but I don't think they're the most liberal campus. They're smart, but they're not knowledgeable. Is that what you're saying? Mm, maybe. Not, maybe not wise. They still definitely wanted to learn about butt plugs. I'm just, I'll just tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. All those That's really guys in the front 
row would like I was passing around all these toys and they would ref- they refused to touch it. They refused to touch them. That was pretty fun. It's so it's so variable, you know. And other times people are like, you know, have this high level question about um, safety or consent or you know, do you practice RAC or SSC or do you you know what do you think about safe words? Are they really essential or how what what is the best way for me to play without them? You know, I'm like, oh okay, that's where we're at now. All right. <laughs> Doing a different thing here. All right, roll up the sleeves. Here we go. Right. Well, and it depends. I teach a variety of workshop titles also. So, you know, sometimes if I come to come to a school and I'm teaching the sexual politics of BDSM, people who show up are different than if I'm teaching Sex Toys 101 or um, or like uh, something about gender and relationships, which I also do teach at colleges. You know, I have like a dating toolkit uh, class and other things like that. So... Uh, just kind of variable when you're teaching like uh bdsm politics what is what's the big i mean i imagine consent is one of your main topics totally what are what are some of the other areas you touch on consent's a really big one the other one is agency like the you know if you especially if you put it into sexual politics term which is kind of just a fancy way of saying like um uh, philosophical theories about the culture and the uh, the community of sex positivity. Um, so we're talking a lot about agency. I'm talking a lot about agency and consent in those kind of workshops of like, um, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to judge BDSM practitioners because they're exercising consent and agency in a way that, you know, actually goes along with your sexual politics, probably. Right. So digesting and dissecting those concepts and then applying them into the, the BDSM community. Um, and also breaking down some of the things about power dynamics and, uh, and play. You know, I think, you know, we use topping and bottoming, for example, in a lot of different ways in different communities. In the gay boy community, we'd use topping and bottoming to say who is doing the penetrating. And in the kind of BSM community, it might be who is holding the flogger and who is, you know, doing the action of the kink thing onto the other body. And in the DS community, we might use it as like who's got the who's who's ultimately um, uh, deciding what is going to happen, right? Which might be a different thing too. So, you know, dissecting the language. I mean, that's always one of my big kinks too: is getting the right word, the precise right word for the right thing, and all being on the same page about what we're talking about because we use things so differently than what does that really mean? One thing I'm very self-conscious about is, uh, is that I, 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 the topics of, of sexual politics almost never cross my mind unless I'm talking to someone like yourself. And I have a lot of friends who are very smart and they are very, you know, they think a lot about this. They write a lot about this, but uh, I I just I don't think about it, and I and I think I know why. It's because I am a white cisgendered guy, heterosexual who do, just all I think about is I'm gonna give Sod an orgasm, and maybe she'll let me have an orgasm. You know, that's, <laughs> that's my sexual politics, and it's and I don't think about all the other stuff, and I feel very guilty that I not involved in it or I'm not uh I'm not even very well I mean I'm not all that knowledgeable about it I mean I try to read up and maybe I'm a little bit more well versed than 
some other guys, I'm sure, I hope I am, but um, what is a good way for me to uh, educate myself, like, uh, or maybe what are the things I should be really thinking about and really, you know, to, to kind of get my, get my foot in the door, just so I make sure I'm not some, just some idiot walking around, not, not you know, not concerning these things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think... I mean, you make a really good point, and the, the the folks who kind of hold privilege in a variety of social context areas don't have to think about it in the same way that folks who don't hold privilege um, are are a little more forced to think about it. Yeah. And we often don't have a choice because we have to really go against the grain to to get that to happen. And you know, you, there's a, there's at least one area here that I would say that you go against the grain, which is in your submission. Like it's not a quote, normal thing, you know, we don't assume, we, as, we assume, we make the assumption that um, cis men are going to be dominant. Um, and and so you have to go against the grain in order to kind of make that happen. Sure. But at the same time, I'm uh, nobody, nobody can see, you know, I can't, if I'm on the subway, no right. one's going to, no one's going to say, oh, that guy's, you know, don't, <laughs> there's no, right. it, it doesn't Not interfere with my, right. At the, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, well, he re- he's wearing leather pants. He's most, and yeah. there's some ways that I'm very visibly queer and visibly, um, visibly gendered in a, in a different way. And there's, you know, but then there's also areas that I hold privilege. So, I mean, really it's the, I think the best way to do it is to keep learning about where your own privilege is and then learning about communities, you know, the other, the communities that are marginalized from those opposite places that you have privilege. And, you know, with my, I've been doing a lot of work for my own, knowledge around white privilege and having, um, you know, what it's like to have white skin on the, on the planet and then how that affects how, how, uh, racial politics affect other people and me, you know, because it affects me as a white person. It just is more invisible the ways that it affects me because I get privilege from that. Well, one thing also I, I, uh, I've, I've come to realize is that, um, because there have been times when I have uh, wanted to engage in conversation, and um, because of who I am, a lot of people just don't want to even hear about it. Even if I'm trying to be on, you know, I'm trying to push forward the cause of sex positivity or, you know, rights for everyone. Uh, uh, basically, I, I would like to know what are the things that I and people like me people who maybe just don't think about it that much. What are some of the things you think that uh, little steps, maybe it's donating to the NCSF or something. What, what are some good things that people can do uh, like myself to get more involved to other than just reading blogs or something like that? Um, uh, is, is it anything come to mind of like, or maybe this is a too deep of a question to be able to just, you know, go answer. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, I, th- I mean, I think reading reading up on things is always excellent. You know, you, educating yourself as much as possible because there's so much information that we can consume without needing to, you know, <laughs> demand an explanation from somebody in particular in your life. Um, and I think donating is actually a really good idea too. You know, we can't uh, – I'm not really in the position to donate – um, money these days because I 
I'm, you know, I have been in my life in the past, but, um, right now I'm, I'm full-time freelance and full-time working for myself and kind of living underneath the poverty line, you know, just really scraping by. Mm. Um, so people who have that ability, who have a little extra cash, like that's a, somebody has to fund the revolution. Right. <laughs> somebody right. has to, that, and there's so many organizations that need help and support. So, you know, find one, find five and donate a hundred bucks each once a year. And I mean, that, that's, that's something that's not nothing for sure. I, I just don't want to be one of those people who, uh, retweets a sex positive story and think I've done my duty as oh, a citizen yeah. for the day, you know, like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, everybody. Well, uh, I think one of the other things that can, that people with a lot of privilege can do that folks who are marginalized have a harder time doing is actually talking to other people with privilege, you know? So in those conversations with private conversations with friends or buddies or whoever, um, when something really racist comes up to actually talk about it or when something sexist comes up or something transphobic comes up to not just let it slide, but to go, you know, that's not cool. We should talk about that. Huh? You know, why, why do you think that's an okay joke to make Right. the amount of, you know, rape jokes that go around in, in some people's communities, like, uh, I think standing up and talking about it can be a really effective way to help change people's minds. And they need to hear it from somebody that they trust and know, um, and not necessarily from, you know, some radical liberals' Twitter stream. Right. <laughs> they're never going to see anyway, right? Because they're not, right. you know. Um, right. Yeah, it's weird because there are, you know, there, there are time and time again, there are these situations where people, because they're inside a bubble, they – uh, they don't realize what they're saying or doing. And then when they, like, a prime example, there was a, um, there was a fraternity recently who was caught chanting something on video. And it was just really terrible. I think they, they were chanting, um, no means yes, yes means anal. Oh God. So they were chanting this and <laughs> someone recorded it and got it out there. And I don't, there was some stuff, but one of the guys or maybe it was someone else who was related to it. So it was like, look, I've, I've, I've engaged in those things, and you don't realize at the time, I mean, I don't know how, but they, because of your surroundings, you, you can't see, you know, you can't see what's really wrong with this situation. This has happened time and time again. I mean, not just in, in small groups, but in big groups, right, where people engaged in things, Germany, you know, where, where they did not – see it until after the fact when they heard people repeating what they did or said, they're like, holy shit, you know? Um, and I don't know, maybe that's one of the benefits of, you know, as much as I hate the whole everyone's being recorded thing, uh, you know, no one has any privacy almost, but at the same time, we get to see who the assholes are, I guess, you know? Um, right. Well, and it's, it's one of those, it, it just makes standing up and really taking a stand even more valuable, you know, right. sure. so for every group of people who's telling rape jokes and laughing about it, there's probably a couple of people in that group who are uncomfortable, but they're afraid to stand up against that minor- majority who is, um, who clearly has some power. I mean that, you know, that's the thing about rape jokes or, or whatever, sexism, racism, other things. It's about maintaining one's own power and, and privilege. So, it's hard to go against that. It's hard to challenge it. Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to strive to read up more. Maybe if you can think of, by the time this goes live, maybe you can think of some, uh, you know, some organizations that you think people could donate to to 
you know, yeah, I make, about that. and we can make up a list and maybe some good reading material would be good. You know, some yeah. recommended reading. Um, the, the, I don't know what we call it. We call it the group for the, the un- uneducated, but hope, you know, hopeful group or, or something. Um, the, the pre- oh, I'm happy the, to suggest the, books and things. books for books, reading for the privileged, I guess, or something. So. Nice. Yeah. You, um, you also, in the last time we had you on, you were talked about Submissive Playground. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and since then I talked you into doing a video for me, too. So I did. we have you in there. I did a video. That's right. Um, well, your face isn't on the video, but you still narrated a video with really great uh, slides. I have, a, <laughs> I have clothes on. I should stress that. I do <laughs> sure you do. Right. right. Um, yeah, so, well, you asked me to you know, talk about some things, and so I did. But it's, it's really grown quite a bit. Uh, for those people who don't know, what, what is Submissive Playground? It's an online eight-week e-course that Rife and I run. Rife is my boy. And um, we. this will be the fourth time we've done it in the last two years, and it's been really quite successful. There's still de- quite a bit of demand for it. There's a, um, We have 16 guests, in, uh, including you, doing guest presentations on uh, the topics of bondage, discipline, service, and masochism. So there's all, all sorts of things about what we think, not just Rife and I, but these 16 guests, what we th- all think that you need to know about submission. And, um, and then in each of the units, there's a, an experiment to do uh, related to the materials and then homework to a uh, worksheet to fill out. So it's kind of a nerdy course. It's definitely for folks who like to have homework and tasks and be assigned things and have deadlines and due dates and think deeply about their kink life. Um, I think, that's the part that's the the folks who get the most out of it are kind of excited about having a little a little mini school lesson (laughs) on submission um and uh but there's many many ways i mean there's also a lot of camaraderie and uh community that gets built we have a great message board that the course hosts throughout the eight weeks and people have made really good friends and They've, I've heard that they've traveled together and gone to see each other and kept in touch as a pen pal and all sorts of things uh, from friends that they've made in the course. So it's it's been really valuable. The thing that really strikes me is that, so I don't know if you've ever read this, uh, when I first got to New York, which was also the first time I could really openly explore kink, um, I met a dominant who gave me a book that they wanted me to read called, I think it's Miss Abernathy's Slave oh. Training Manual. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, it was republished into like a two-in-one volume. I think it's called Erotic Slavehood now. It's good. But yeah. It's like this, you know, and there, I think if I think it's the right one. This is the one that has like quizzes and things you mm-hmm. should answer. And um, at first I was like, oh, man, I don't know. Oh, all right. And, and, but there were a lot, there's a lot of things. And, and you're, you're, this course is sort of like that on steroids it's that time times a thousand right there's a lot um (laughs) yeah i mean plus it's 50 other people who are going through it with you and um and uh all sorts of tasks to do with your dominant if you have one or by yourself if you don't have one there's it's a lot of variability you know for folks because so many of these people are at different levels you know some people are saying I think I'm submissive. I, I've never really done anything, but I really want to explore it. And other people are saying like, oh, I've been submissive for 15 years. I'm, I've done everything so many times that I'm kind of bored. You know, how do I get more excited about this again? So right. we're going, you know, f- after a lot of different 
folks um, trying to make the experiments relevant to everybody. Um, so there's a lot of, we put a lot of thought behind all of those experiments and there's a lot of variability so you can really adapt it to whatever you're, whatever you're doing and whatever you're wanting to do. The, the, this, there's two things that really fascinated me about this is number one is, uh, you know, if you were to go to an event, a big kink event, uh, usually there's like, you know, if you're if you're saying, okay, look, I, w- I want to go and I want to learn about really, I do a deep dive about submission and learn about this. If you go to most kink events, like big weekend long things, you're going to find maybe one or two, maybe that are, yeah. if that, that are geared towards what you're talking about, and most will be demos or something. Like that, which, if you are submissive, the demos you just watch something that you're not doing, right? Or or you know. <laughs> Or if you're, if you're like me, when I first got here, I was like, I'm going to go watch this demo of something I'm never going to experience because I'm never going to find her, you know? And mm-hmm. so so that, that's one aspect of it is that uh, it's almost like you created this kink event that's that's geared just for, you know, submissives. And where most of the events out there are geared towards the, the doers, right? Um, Definitely. A, well, even when you have a, yeah, even when you have a demo with this submissive who's – you know, using all sorts of skills to, I don't know, receive um, a single tail or be stomped on or something. They're, they're using pain processing techniques and breath work and visualization and I don't know, who knows what else they're doing to 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 make themselves available and supple and vulnerable. Um, but it's so rare that any presenter who's using a demo bottom uh says hey what did you just do there you know like what were the skills involved that you were using and what do you think people need to know in the audience and what do you you know it's it's not definitely uncommon uh to have that perspective talked about so and that's a big piece of why this course there was a demand for this course and why rife and i built it to begin with was because there just was a lot of requests about how how do i do that more and there's a Huge list of speakers. And also, the other thing that fascinates me about this is the fact that you're not limited by geography. Oh, isn't that cool? Totally. So if someone is in, you know, Clear Pond, Iowa, mm-hmm. and, you know, population 100, there is no Clear Pond, Iowa. But, you know, the, they, mm-hmm. they're, they're not limited by not being able to go, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, it really makes it more accessible. And the, the online technology, especially with teaching courses, has changed so much, even in the two years that we've been teaching this class. You know, the first time around, we did all of our live calls on, on the phone, like a conference call. And now we're doing, you know, pretty high tech webinars that are really more possible, more, much more easeful. You know, people can come on with video or not. They can be anonymous. They can, show their faces and it's uh, a lot easier to have a like mini <laughs> television studio right from my desk. It's really cool. You've got a ton of guest speakers and the names are huge. You've got some Midori, Lee Harrington, Madison Young, Princess mm-hmm. Callie. Basically, uh, half the people who have been on the Master Cats in the past two, the other half who I'm hoping I can get them on, basically. They're really <laughs> good people. You should have them. They're all brilliant. Yeah. I've, I, like, Tina Horn's great. Uh, but there's a lot here. I'm going to have to email you asking to get, you know, send some intro emails out. Um, and then you, you're also doing, uh, you've got, you've just launched something that's similar, but for dominance. Yeah. Well, the, I did a, um, 
Last year, I started a course, uh, the Mastering Dominance course, that is was a three-hour uh, seminar for dominant-identified folks. And um, Rife produced it, and we did it uh, three or four times in the last year. Um, and it has been quite successful, but it needs work still. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm putting that a little bit on hold while we're doing this fall run of Submissive Playground. That's because it's open right now and people are enrolling. And um, and then I'm going to relaunch some more dominant things starting in October. So one of the things that we're going to do in October is what I'm calling the, the Dom Club, the uh, a drop-in webinar once a month for discussing dominant stuff and it's gonna be free and people can come and it's just for an hour online to kind of say hey and talk and check it out um and 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 then i'm going to be building a kind of a bigger companion course to submissive playground that will be um a similar structure of an eight weeks with guests and homework and all that good stuff uh but we're gonna uh, that that takes a lot of time to build yeah. I mean, submissive playground we this is the fourth time we've done it. Every time I do it, I'm adding a new speaker. And, um, and so the, the course is very robust. There's a lot of information, a lot of materials in there. One and, thing that, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. So it's going to take some time to build the, ma- the master, the dominant course uh, <laughs> equivalency. And I want it to be good. So it's, I'm going to put aside some good time to like really build before I launch it this time. One thing that strikes me is that I, I, I've, talk to a lot of people who uh, they get into the scene. This happens a lot to, I think this happens to both, but there's a lot of women I know who uh, they feel like they're dominant. They want to be dominant, but um, for one reason or the other, they just don't have that. I mean, confidence is the word, but but they, they there's something they just don't have at that time because they're so new to the scene. So they think, well, I guess I start submitting because that's what everyone's telling me. I'm submissive. So, and and so they do that, and then eventually, you know, they meet some other dominants, and they make, make friends, and then they have, you know, they just there's something that comes from ha- having connections with other people in the scene, and I think this is going to help a lot of people who are, you know, who have questions about their dominance. Either you know, am I an asshole? I know people who think that I, these things are terrible. These things I want to do to other people, you know, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. just having a connection with someone else. Who's it can be so helpful. Yeah. Whether, yeah, whether it's a mentor or someone so who's helpful. going through it yourself, right? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Or you know, to you know, um, how do I do this more? How do I my submissive is bottomless and wants more and more and more and everything that I can give them and you know, I wanna turn it up but I'm tired or you know, I'm having trouble or I you know, I feel guilty or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, it's been so much fun to do the seminars that we've done so far and, um, and I've missed it, but this, this summer has been totally packed. And so now the fall is kind of packed and then we're going to really launch hard on the, on the, um, dominant side of things, uh, and starting in about October. <clears throat> how, did you really deal, how did you deal with the guilt aspect of it? I, mean, I imagine there was a time and maybe there still is where, totally. what's the, how do you deal with that? Um, I, uh, I had a lot of conversations with submissives and with my partners and with other dominants. I've, I really looked to dominant community and, uh, a DS MS community to, to talk about it. And, um, and that was, that was the thing that really helped me. Um, and then, you know, like with my, with my current boy with Rife, um, really from the very beginning of our relationship, we kind of built in 
uh, I built in a lot of kind of dominant aftercare. Uh, it was just something that I asked for from right from the beginning. And sometimes we'd be, you know, lying in bed together or lying on the floor together or whatever, lying in the dungeon together after a scene. And I'd say, okay, so what did you just, what did you like? Tell me the thing that worked for you. You know, what did you think about it when I did this? And, um, what was the sexiest thing I said to you today or whatever? And, and hearing that stuff, even just for five minutes is really, really helpful for my, uh, for my doubt and for my kind of fear that I went too far or my fear that I, I actually did some damage or, you know, if he ever, if we're ever in a scene where he's kind of yelling no or, and I'm pushing really hard, I'll kind of, I'll check in with him afterwards about like, that wasn't really too hard. Was it like, did I actually hurt you? You know? And, and so to, to be reassured of those things is really helpful for me. I think that's the key. And we've done it for so long now. We've been together almost four years and, um, that yeah, I kind of don't have to prompt him anymore. We, he just kind of does it automatically now after right. scenes he'll kind of snuggle up to me and go i liked it when you did this and this is my favorite part and this was amazing and i i loved it i loved this part and you know some so it, it here just hearing the stuff that went really well is really helpful for me even if sometimes there is stuff that doesn't go as well um hearing the stuff that goes well uh reassures me that i'm not fucking it up too hard <laughs> i i find myself so sad and i have basically we do our post play talk basically in the shower right oh so, nice it, go to yeah. the shower and then invariably this doesn't happen all the time but sometimes i'll be like my mind will be so blown by something i'll be like oh my god when you did this and she's just like almost ignoring me like you i'm just coming down from this i'm just chilling shut up for a second or two while i just you know while I just just enjoy the shower we can talk about it after it's okay but i'll be like oh man that was so amazing you know um Mm, yeah, sometimes it does take the right timing, like to 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 launch into the processing of the thing instead of just to be in the like humming, buzzing after effects <laughs> right, of it right, all. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. To well, me. I, I've just, I, you know, so I'm kind of like, you know, I, I've gotten used to that now. So, yeah. Um, so there's, uh, uh, I do want to say this because I want to plug uh, friends of mine and friends of yours, but there's something interesting. We we're, we have New York Toy Collective in common. Oh yes, we do. Um, That's right. The really good friends of mine. There, you've reviewed a lot of their products. And- oh, I'm such a big fan. And I met them before I left New York. They were just launching right about the time I was leaving. Um, and I'm so glad I got to actually go over and I got to like squish one of the really early protocols that they had. And I was so uh, excited that it was coming onto the market. I mean, there's really nothing like it out there, you know. Um, and having a, a a packing strap on cock that you can, you can pack with. And then it's hard enough to play with. Like there's that has been a, a need in the market since as long, for as long as I've been playing with strap ons, which has been 15 years now. So well, um, we, we, we saw uh, them as well. And it just, it's weird because we've tried a whole bunch of different kinds and uh, it just, you're right. It feels different. But uh, one thing that's probably, cause I was looking at your blog before we sat down and I was, uh, I was just reading. Oh, look! She reviewed the Carter, which is one of their one of their dildos. And you have a tattoo hmm. uh, on your arm that you claim is just for measuring dildos. <laughs> well, not just. Okay, no, you're right. Not just. <laughs> that is one of the reasons it's there. So you have a, a tattoo of it looks like inches and centimeters, or is it just inches? Yeah, inches and and uh, and then it's just um, like the half inch, quarter inch. 
eighth inch mark in and, one of the inches. And this is so that you can go quickly like, okay, what do we have here? Yeah, I mean, I can measure my iPhone or I can measure an Apple. Like I can measure all sorts of things. It's six inches, six inches of a ruler. And, you know, I've been a graphic designer for a long time. I was a professional designer for uh, almost 10 years. And um, before I kind of (laughs) retired and became a BDSM educator, um, I'm not sure that was the right financial choice, but, you know, it's more fun. That's for sure. Uh, so, you know, if people ask me what the ruler is about, that's kind of what I say is that I was like, this is the oh, best life like, hack I've ever seen. It's pretty fun. It, I, I remember my, um, my uncle, when I got it done, he's a carpenter and he was like, that is not an accurate ruler. I was like, well, it's, it's close actually, but hey, you're right. It's not. And he's like, we're just going to call it a, a, a SARM, Sinclair's arm. That's one SARM. Right. <laughs> one SARM. <laughs> when my luck, because I, I saw this, I'm like, that's it. I, I've been trying to think of what I should get for a tattoo for a very long time. <laughs> now, the problem is, you know, I, I will have to say, when people are like, people, because invariably people are going to say, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. And I'll have to give credit, of course. I'll have to say, well, this friend of mine, Sinclair, when, uh, otherwise I'll be walking around like, all right, look what I thought up all by myself. You know? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I saw it first on a gay boy porn star, and he would measure how far up the ass he could fist and, <laughs> and getting new new inches when he would go further. Oh, my God. So, you know, it's, it wasn't my original idea anyway. Um I also saw it on another graphic designer, actually. She was the one who had this kind of same design I have, which which was just the inch marks, and then one of the inches has the has the eight uh, inch marks in it, so it was a little more minimalist. Um, and it's I, I really love that design, and I've been thinking about it for years. Like, a, a ruler, that's what I want to get. You know, so now I can make dicks jokes, like I always have six inches with me if I need it, <laughs> my stuff wor- like that. My worry is, with my luck, I go get the tattoo, and... Then the U.S. goes metric. Oh, I ha- I totally had that thought, but you know, it's pro- a it's probably not going to happen. Right. But B, it'll be a kind of historical tattoo. Your your kids or your grandkids will be like, "What are those funny marks on your arm?" And you said, "Well, back in my day, we right. measured things in inches." Before the centimeter. <laughs> I mean, let's say it does go to um, to metric. Uh, it would take me a long time to not think of things in terms of inches anyway. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I could just, you know, we've got our whole lives with this system. I think it will take a minute. Uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And I hope you don't mind if I put a photo of that up on the oh, website no. there. Yeah, please do. Uh, it's actually, I have, actually have a ruler and it's, it's surprisingly accurate. I, I'm, I keep checking it every year or so and, you know, kind of going, oh, it's not going to be six inches anymore, but it's still almost exactly the same. You've got to... Uh, drink lots of milk. <laughs> Keep the skin good, moisturize. Well, yeah. Make sure you know what you know. You know, and when you're 98, chances are your bones might shrink a little bit, right? And so, just be careful. I'm just saying, we're all very you concerned about your calcium intake. Um, yeah, calcium. It's um. Oh, what was I going to say about that? Uh, yeah, I, I get a lot of interesting comments about it, sure. but um, it, it's been fun too to be able to you know, kind of compare circumference or, or, uh, not circumference, what's the other one? Radius of the, of dildos and dicks and stuff. So it's, it was fun to do that little mini photo shoot with the Carter on the vlog. <laughs> it works great. <laughs> and show it off that way. 
Um, I do like that new Carter that they put out. That's the slightly bigger one than the, the, the original Shiloh, and that one is really good. Did you get the Ellis yet? That's their, their new one. That It's not bendable, but it's um, it's got the uncut, uncircumcised. Yeah, no, uh, I've seen it. This, uh, we haven't. We haven't picked it up yet, but the thing is, is that the uh, what Saad really lo- loves about the Shiloh is that you can, you know, because you can bend it in any direction, so you can change positions. Yeah. You can still hit the the, the prostate or G spot or whatever, no matter yeah. what position you're in. You can just bend it whatever way, and so uh, yeah. she so really likes that. And it really works out great. Yeah, this one, the new Ellis isn't bendable, so it's different for sure. But I think it's pretty cool that they're starting to do uncut dildos, though. Like, really, they don't. There's very, very few of them available. That was another need, like a kind of niche desire. Because I've been teaching um, confidence strap-on classes for about 10 years, too. And the um, and people always ask me about that one. And they always ask me about bending and packing and playing. And now New York Toy Collective did both of them. I think it's really cool. It's really cool. Uh, I don't know where they Sod, – Sod has like this – I don't want to ruin it. But she's got this like uh, – she's got this idea – that she's almost almost every month she's like trying to figure out the blueprints and how she's going to design. She really wants to design something with them, Ooh. and it's. Uh, but yeah, but they keep coming out. They've got something else coming out. They're thinking around Christmas too. So nice. Um, well, this is this is always a, a, a great treat to to talk with you. And um, you know, it, it, what I really like is that sometimes when uh, when I'm talking to someone over Skype, there's something missing as opposed to just in person. But for some reason with you, it just clicks like it always does. And it's so easy. Yeah. For me too. I really enjoy it. And, and you know, come on in another, in another six months. I would love to, I will totally stay in touch. And actually I might be in New York this fall. So I will. Holy crap. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to get over to a conference. We'll see if it happens or not, but I'll, I'll totally email you. Yeah. You, I haven't even seen your wedding ring or anything. I can't believe y'all got married and you have a dog now. I got to, got to catch up. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be great seeing you again. <laughs> That'll be really fun. Thank you. Thanks for the time and love the Massacast. I'm a big fan. Uh, is, it's still going on. Is there anything you want me to ask you before we wrap up? Is there anything you wanted to mention or anything? I think that's about it. Submissive Playground's open until uh, September 18th. So um, if people want to come and do the course, I really I highly encourage you to do it. I, it's going to be amazing this time around. And um, then you get to see Axe's video on how to how to be less unattractive to a dominant. <laughs> yes. I didn't want to – I didn't want to – I thought it was too egotistical to say how to be more attractive. But, so, <laughs> you know – I didn't want to be a douche. I know, you're so humble. Yeah. It's great. It's it's such a useful tool also. I think folks have really enjoyed having it in the in the mix. And I learned time. this the hard way, by the way. This, uh, the, I learned those things. To be the less hard. unattractive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so September 18th is the cutoff. That's right. And right. it starts on September 24th. So it's a – but but you got another couple weeks to sign up before it's over. Um, you can look at submissiveplayground.com or over at my blog, sugarbutch.net. Um, and I'm on all the social medias, Sinclair Sexsmith. So, thanks, Sinclair. Of course, you can find Sinclair at sugarbutch.net. You can go uh, submissive playground. You can Google there, and, and yes, you get to see a, a video of my torso if you if you sign up. Uh, thanks for listening. And oh, and thanks to people donated this past uh, the past couple weeks. Uh, one person donated thirty bucks. Another person donated ten bucks. Thank you. You know who you are. It's much appreciated. We'll talk to you later.